Susie's going to come up and read the scriptures for us this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Um, it'll be on the screens as well. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We'll start in uh, verse 1. After Susie's done, she's going to uh, give us a piece of liturgy that, where she's going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And church, let's respond together prayerfully. Speak, Lord, your servants here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey guys, good morning. Hey, uh, this is your Spanish lesson for the day. Look at your neighbor and say, que onda? That is straight up Mexican slang that just means what's up. (laughs) Um, Hey, I've got a couple things that I want to just mention before we get started. Um, First of all, um, my name is Luis. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if this is your first time with us today, welcome. Welcome to Taproot. Uh, behind every chair, you will find a little welcome card. Um, if this is your first time here, we just ask you if you can take a few moments to fill that card out. And then when you leave later on today, drop that off uh, at the welcome table in the foyer. And uh, when you do that, we have a small gift for you, just a simple way for us to say to you, uh, welcome to our church. We are so glad that you are here. Um, yeah, I've got a couple uh, things I just want to uh, uh, keep you in the loop about. Uh, so that you can be uh, praying uh, for a couple things and then um, rejoicing over a couple others. So first thing is this, and I think I saw them here. So I saw Barb back here. Uh, but Barb and Steve, Steve um, was diagnosed with cancer a little bit over a year ago. And uh, if Steve, Steve is he, he's not here, right? No, he's here. He's here? Yeah, he's here. Steve would say, and he would kill me if, there's Steve. St- Steve is winning the battle with cancer. Yeah, but yesterday... But yesterday, uh, the Hansons sold their house, which is a big deal. Yeah. So they've been uh, wanting to downsize so that, uh, you know, make things more affordable and kind of, so this is a a big prayer. I mean, if you would know the stories, (laughs) it's kind of been like an up and down, but that's a big deal. So, man, we are uh, rejoicing with those guys. Uh, Second thing, last night, uh, Tony Jackson and Jerry Lou Fred went in in a car accident, and uh, uh, their car got T-boned uh, up uh, North and Bomb. Uh, both went to the hospital, but they both 
since have been discharged. And uh, Jerry is 75 years old. She had no broken bones. So it's a big deal. And, uh, but they're, I mean, as you would know, they're, they're pretty beat up. I mean, a car accident is it's no small deal. So you guys can just be praying for those guys. That's a big deal. Um, Kat Huntsberger. Huntsberger. I just messed that up, didn't I? Did I screw it up? Was it good? Close enough. All right. Uh, but, Kat, but Kat graduated from her master's a week ago. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. There's a lot going on, you guys. And then uh, we talked about Eva last week, but she's leaving for Mexico sometime this week. So we can pray for Eva. She's going to spend two months there doing all kinds of things, and uh, we, we're going to miss her. So those, those are kind of some major things happening in the life of our church that we thought you should know about. And uh, as you can tell, the summer exodus is here, so there's all kinds of people missing. So we can pray for people that are traveling and doing all kinds of things uh, while we get five days of summer. So uh, uh, anyway, lots of things going on, but you can, you can pray. Uh, we can rejoice uh, about what God is doing with Hanson's Eva Cat. And pray for Tony and uh, Jerry. And uh, anyway, let's let's pray, and then we'll get uh, we'll get rolling here. Uh, Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the um, the joy that it is to be with your people. I love Sunday mornings that we get to gather as um, as your kids to to worship you, to hear your words. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. That as we open up the scriptures, that you would speak. I pray that your spirit would do the work that only he can do. And that Jesus would be made much of this morning. That he would be the hero of our stories, of your story as well. And uh, yeah, just meet your people. Draw them to yourself and help us to see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, last week we started a 14-part sermon series that we have called The Great Story. And so over the summer months, what we are going to be doing is we're going to be answering basically the question, what is the story of God? Or what is, what is the story of the Bible? How does God disclose himself in Scripture? We said last week that um, every story has five elements. We've got character and setting and plot, conflict and resolution. So we said that in God's story, the main character is God himself. That the setting is the world which God created. The plot could be summarized with four big words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We talked about the conflict, and, and we said the conflict is centered on the war that Satan, who is God's enemy, is, is waging against God to unseat him as Lord of the universe and to, and to convince humankind that they can move God from the center of their lives and instead move ourselves into the center. God's story becomes most exciting when Jesus comes in the scene at his life death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And the resolution to God's story is still to come when God will send Jesus, his son, back to, to redeem all things and to bring all his kids and restore them back to himself from exile and into his presence and joy for all eternity. So this is a summary of what we talked about last week. We looked last week at chapter one of God's great story, creation in Genesis one and two. There is where we met the main character of our story, who is God. We saw the world as it should be, and we met the people that God 
created, we also saw what God has been doing since the very beginning. God, since the beginning of time, has been bringing order into chaos. And he is inviting you and me as his people to go and do the same. To bring order into the chaos of our world. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 2 of God's great story. And this chapter is simply called The Fall. Now a couple thoughts as we get started. Now you may not realize it, but... You felt the result of Adam and Eve's sin today. In fact, we can't go more than five minutes without encountering the effects of the fall. Let me share a couple news stories from this past week and last couple months. Thursday night, I went to bed a little bit worried. (laughs) Anybody else? We were like, Moments away from being in a war with Iran. Woke up Friday morning to be relieved. But I felt it. In the month of May, there was a, one of many shootings, one of them that was pretty uh, well known of in uh, Virginia Beach, where 12 people got killed. There was another one in California that, was hap- that happened inside a synagogue that was deemed a hate crime. Uh, This week, the uh, indictment uh, finally came down, and the uh, Keith Rainier, who was a a, a Nexim cult leader, was found guilty on all accounts, from human trafficking to all kinds of abuse to, I mean, the list just kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, Netflix uh, released a series called uh, When When They See Us in the month of May. And this series, uh, in the last two or so weeks, has been the most watched uh, series on Netflix. And this series basically recounts the story of what happened to the Central Park Five, a group of five African-American boys and the incredible injustices that happened to them in, in, throughout their time in the, um, in the prison system. It's everywhere. We, we feel it. I mean, those are just a few stories that I can mention of, of a hundred that I could have picked out. And I can't even talk about your personal stories. But we all are feeling the effects of the fall in one way or another. Every, every aspect of creation has been in some way or another tainted or distorted by sin. Everywhere you look, there is pain, rebellion, Brokenness, hopelessness, despair, conflict, disease. And even in our own hearts, we see the influence of sin. We are in this battle and we feel it every single day. No matter how how badly we want to honor God, sin is like screaming at us from every single side, begging us to rebel against God and to pursue our own desires. We struggle with temptations and we have a hard time making sense of the things that we see happening all around us. Every one of us has this profound sense that things are not as they should be. Am I I right? Just look around. And so the question is, how did we get to this point? And that is the question we're going to answer today. 
The first two chapters in the book of Genesis describe this, this wonderful existence. But the very next chapter, chapter 3, takes this dark turn. Genesis 3 describes Adam and Eve's tragic failure, their fall into sin, and the devastating impact that this had on our world. So thank you to Susie Johnson for reading our text of scripture this morning. Let me give you just kind of, here's the, the big overview of kind of what I want to do this evening. I just want to give us a quick overview of our story and then see how this story plays out in the Bible and then in our lives and then draw a couple conclusions that hopefully can help, help us to live in this 21 century world. Because if you've got your Bibles, uh, open those to flip one page over to Genesis 2 for just a second. Or maybe that is in the same page. But one thing that we did not cover last week was, was God's command to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. This is what uh, the Bible says, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. So that is the, the command that God gave man. A couple things stand out here. First, God, who is the creator, is the rightful lawgiver. If one creates, one has the right to make the laws governing what you have created. This right is not reserved for created beings. It is reserved for the creator. And second, the command that God gave uh, uh, man came with a blessing and a consequence. Adam and Eve would live forever if they didn't eat of this tree. Or they would begin to die if they did. So if they stayed within the boundaries that God had graciously provided for them, they would live forever. If not, if they stepped out of the order, they would begin to die. But this, this amazing, happy story of Genesis 1 and 2 is interrupted in chapter 3 because the ultimate party crasher comes into the scene. And how many of you know that this is true? Every single story has a protagonist and an antagonist, right? Uh, Star Wars has Darth Vader. Uh, Avengers has the latest bad guys, Thanos. Uh, Lord of the Rings fans, Sauron, the Dark Lord of Mordor. Uh, Matrix, Agent Smith, uh, old school uh, Back to the Future, uh, Biff, the <laughs> jerk person, you know? So, in uh, <laughs> that was a really weird way to say Biff, the jerk person. I don't know. <laughs> Nothing against Biff, but... So in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, we are introduced to the great antagonist of the story of God. God's enemy, the serpent. And the serpent tempts Eve by twisting God's words and putting doubts in her mind about God's truth and God's goodness. You can see this in verse 1. Did God actually say? And just like that, the, the serpent was trying to, to, to make Eve doubt the, the character of God, the, the goodness of God, the truth of God. And he was using the oldest trick in the book, saying to her something like, listen, God is keeping something good and fun from you. You should try it. 
Now, the reason why we have to point out the serpent in this story is because, first, God does, but second, because the serpent is going to play out this huge role throughout the rest of God's story. He is, he is the great enemy of God who is constantly in the scene trying to disrupt man, mankind and tarnish uh, God's image in men and women. We see him in Job asking God for permission to kill Job, a righteous and godly man. We see him in the book of John described as a thief who only wants to seek and kill and destroy. We see him in the book of 1 Peter as the adversary to the people of God attempting to destroy them. We see him in the book of Revelations as the great dragon trying to kill the chosen one of God. He is the unseen yet very real antagonist in the storyline of the Bible. And here is a, a, a key observation from the story. Satan is subtle. He doesn't show up dressed in this red cape uh, with a pitchfork saying, hey, Christian, I am Satan. I'm here to destroy you and to kill you. Follow me. He doesn't do that. Instead, he comes to us in ways that we would not expect and offers us things that seem good. This is what he does in our text. And then this, this is what he does every single day. He deceives people by making false promises. He takes what is evil and makes it appear beautiful. He takes truth and he twists truth. And it's an important thing to notice that Satan enters the biblical scene as a part of God's creation, which means he is not all-powerful. He is a deadly deceiver, but his power is infinitely less than God who is all-powerful. So we should not be terrified of his power but we should be aware and we should be weary of his lies and his manipulation. And what he does in our story is tragic. He tempts Eve to disobey God's command for the purpose of thwarting God's plans and purposes. What does God do in our story? God brings order into the chaos of the world. What does the enemy do? He brings chaos into the order. God brings beauty into pain. God brings flourishing into something that is wild and uninhabitable. The enemy does the very opposite thing. He brings darkness into light. He brings pain into something that is uh, life-giving and healthy. He brings chaos into something that is flourishing. He wants the very opposite things that God wants. But, but this scene would not be so tragic if not for the people and their actions. Now, at this point in the story of Genesis 3, we must take notice of something. Satan, God's enemy, did not force Eve to eat of the fruit. Rather, he served as the tempter and the false accuser of God, placing doubt about God's goodness in, uh, in his words and placing doubt on Eve's role as an image bearer of God. But it took Eve to act she made the choice that had real consequences. These guys had a choice that is the very same choice that you and I have to make every single day. God blessed them with all kinds of life-giving trees, but there was one tree which was the tree of death, essentially. And every single day they had to make the choice. Will we choose the life that God gives us or will we choose our way and choose death? 
And we make that choice every single day. Will we choose life or will we choose death? And here is why Eve's actions are so tragic. Instead of seeing God as all satisfying, she chose a fruit. Instead of of seeing God as the ultimate highest good, which he is, she chose fruit. Instead of trusting God to fulfill his promises, she trusted in fruit. She was lured, enticed, and tempted into believing that what was created would be more satisfying than the one who created it. And just ask yourself, how many times have you believed that lie? That you can find more satisfaction in things of this world than in the one who created this world. This this tells us, this is on the screen, that that sin is not just disobeying God. Yes, that is true. Sin is is trusting in, in something other than God to be good, satisfying, and all we need. Sin is idolatry. Sin isn't just adultery and stealing and murder. Yes, those things are true. Sin isn't just actions. Sin starts in the heart in our desires by looking to something that God created and believing that those things to be the all-sufficient things to meet all of our needs. Now notice what this idolatrous heart does in verse 6 of chapter 3. This is what the Bible says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Again, the devil did not force Eve to act. She made this choice. She acted. She tasted. She disobeyed. She desired. But her eating came from a heart that was trusting in something other than God to satisfy her. And now the story would not be complete without uh, Adam's involvement in what happened. In order for the fall of man to be absolutely tragic, man's representative, Adam, must fall with Eve, and he did. And it is a striking place that we find Adam. The end of verse 6 says that he was with Eve, right next to her. He was right there, and he did not do anything. Anything. He did not uh, step in. He did not speak up. He did not say time out. He did not protect. He did not say stop. And before we, we, we come hard on Adam, we have to realize that he did what a, what a lot of us guys are guilty of. His, his passivity caught him. And so Adam, who was with her, ate. And we can't just point the finger at Adam and Eve here, they simply did what any of us seated in this room would have done in their situation. They disobeyed God. And for the rest of the chapter, we get detailed information of the tragic consequence of their action. Verses 7 through 12, their innocence dies. They try to cover their sin. They hide from God and they blame their sin on others. Verse 16, God curses the woman and tells her that from now on she will have pain in childbirth and that she will do everything in her power to usurp the authority God had given her husband. 
Verses 17 through 19, God curses the man by cursing the ground and the work that he is to do. Work would be hard and difficult. It would be this way until he died. The wages of sin, disobeying God is death. But the most tragic consequence maybe is what we see in verse 23. God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. Their peaceful union with God ruined by one choice to sin against God, ruined by the idolatrous act of worshiping a created thing above creator God, ruined by thinking that the devil's word was more faithful than God's word. And that is just a quick overview of the fall of mankind. Now, what is incredible about this story is that from this moment and on throughout Scripture, We see this battle between sin and man going on throughout the Bible and then in our lives. The very next chapter in Genesis 4, we see two brothers, Cain and Abel. And we see Cain killing his brother. The fall against sin was just this dive as fast and as hard as it could into darkness. When his brother's sacrifice pleased God and his own did not, Cain acted in jealous passion and committed the first murder. A few verses later, we find Lamech writing the very first poem recorded in Scripture in order to brag about being more vengeful than Cain. So there is this trend that had begun clearly in the wrong direction. Next week, we will see what happened during Noah's time. We are told in Genesis 6 that as man increased on the earth, so did their sin. This happens to the great deliverer, Moses, who blows up in anger at the people of God because of their incessant complaining, and God does not let him enter into the promised land. This story is the story of the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. God gave them commandments and promises. Blessing and curses. Obey and it'll go well with you. Disobey and other nations will come in and take over and exile you. Time after time, they followed idols. Right after God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they were worshiping a golden calf that they made with their own hands. Worshiping created things, not creator God. After getting into the promised land, they succumbed to the idol worship of other nations who were in their land, and God gave them over to these nations just like he promised. This happened to King David. He was a godly man, conquered the giant Goliath, and was the great warrior king who saved Israel from all her enemies and who set up Israel as a great nation in the world. Yet one day, while he's lounging in his house, he becomes a peeping Tom on Bathsheba. And he has this adulterous relationship with her. And to top things off, after she conceives a child, he has her husband murdered. So throughout scripture, here's what we see. Sin, 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 sin. And the point is this. Listen, this is the normal, natural response because of what happened in Genesis 3. Sin. It's what we do. And it's clearly played out in the story of Scripture. But church, here's the thing. This is your story. And this is my story. The lure of sin is attractive and powerful. 
Remember the utopian scene in Genesis 2. Adam and Eve walking and talking with God, living at peace with God in happiness and uh, in perfect, intimate relationship with him. Yet in, in striking rebellion and disloyalty, Eve with Adam at her side sees a portion of creation that's more satisfying than God. And from the moment that they bit into the fruit, all of us have been attempting to move to the center what, has, what was never intended to be at the center. This is why last week we saw that from the very beginning of the Bible, the central figure in the story of God is God himself. He is the one who must be at the center of everything. The Genesis 3 account of the fall shows us what the lure of sin does. It takes God out of the center of our hearts and places our satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness in something created. And I mean anything because of our lustful, idolatrous hearts can take over the central place of our stories. This is why immorality is so seductive. This is why greed seems so satisfying because sin is attractive as it is powerful. And its lure is to get us to believe that there is something more satisfying than God. And we can all feel sin's consequence, can't we? From the moment that Adam, our first representative before God, disobeyed, we have responded as Adam and Eve have responded. Go back to your Bibles. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. And they... Let's start in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from their, his presence among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And then she said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is our response. Ever since this happened, we've tried to cover our sin with our own fig leaves of self-righteousness and spiritual devotion in hopes that God won't notice. We, we've tried to hide from God by acting like things are really okay, yet our shame and our guilt says otherwise. We are like the little child who covers her eyes, believing no one can see her because she can't see them. Yet we are in our sin and God sees us and we know it and we feel it. It is, it is that guilt that drives us to addictions in an attempt to get momentary release from that shame and that guilt. It is, it is this guilt that causes us to busy ourselves to take our minds off the sorrow that we feel. We blame shift. We make excuses. We never own our sin. We'll hurt. We'll punish ourselves thinking that somehow this will make us right with God. We've all felt the difficulty of trying to make a living as a consequence of sin. An economic downturn is not just the product of poor economic decisions. It is the product of the fall. 
Making a living is hard because sin has entered into the world. Women have experienced the pain of childbirth. And we all know that death awaits us. Death is the one sure thing for all of us. And we know it. Now, the reason we all know these consequences, the reasons why we feel these things is because something staggering happened when Adam sinned against God. Paul says in Romans 5 this way, he says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam, our representative, sinned, we sinned against God. His passivity in that moment did not just affect him, it affected us. And Paul makes it clear that Adam's sin didn't just affect us, but because Adam was our representative, his sin became ours as if we sinned in this moment. So when Adam fell, we all fell. And so life's most difficult questions. Why are there wars in this world? Why does evil exist? Why is there abuse of all kinds? Why are there addictions that destroy people and families? Why do children die? Why is there injustice? Why is there racism? These questions and more, they begin to be answered here. We live in a fallen world where sin has entered because man sinned against God. So disease, debt, conflict, suffering, injustice, and ultimate death are all results of the fall. All those questions begin to be answered here. So the story of the fall is the story of us. And right in the middle of our story, can you imagine if I just ended the sermon right here? Let's just go home, you know. <laughs> That'd be terrible. In the middle of our story, God makes this remarkable prediction. Open up your Bible again. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. God is talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, God basically says this, there will come one who will destroy the tempter by crushing his head. And in that process, the serpent will bruise his heel. Right here in the middle of our darkest hour, what do we see? Hope. In Genesis 3.15, God promises a conqueror, a champion, and a savior. And the Old Testament is filled with this imagery, all pointing us forward to someone. Noah, the one no one knows except God, saves his family from the wrath of God, and God starts over with him. Abraham, an idol pagan worshiper, becomes the father of God's great nation by believing God and trusting in him. Moses, an insignificant wanderer, delivers Israel from the tyranny of Egypt. David, the small shepherd boy, whips the giant Goliath with one killer shot to his head. And each time God moved, it was seemingly insignificant persons who rise to the status of champion. 
This imagery is captured by Isaiah when he said these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you can kind of hear the music building like this crescendo, and then what happens? Jesus appears. And here's the gospel. Do you know why there is pain in our world? Because something went wrong. Why is there death and sin and tears and sorrow? Because something went wrong. Why is there conflict and suffering and sadness and injustice? Because something went wrong. Why is there abuse and racism and discouragement and darkness? Because something went wrong. And the good news is this. God gives us hope. Not in anything within ourselves or in this world. Our hope and the answer to what went wrong is Jesus, the great champion. He is the one who can make right the things that have gone wrong. He is the one who can bring order into the chaotic circumstances of our world. He is the hero. He is the deliverer. He is the rescuer. Jesus enters human history. Born to a virgin in a barn in the obscure town of Nazareth to be raised by ordinary, normal, common parents. God becomes man and Jesus comes to live the life that you and I have not lived, the life of perfection. He had no sin, no failure, no fault or flaw of any kind. And he revealed himself to be God. He loved, he healed, he encouraged, he blessed, he unburdened, he brought the kingdom of God. And what did we do? We killed him. We murdered Jesus. And in that moment, God took the worst evil in history and he turned it to the greatest good. Jesus suffered and died in your place for your sins. So he lives the life we do not live and he also takes the faith we should have received. And three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. Rather than coming as this political king or a military general, he came in the form of a servant willing to give up his life for people. He came to die in order to be the champion of God's people and pay for all eternity the penalty of our sin, which was death. He overcame our biggest problem. He defeated death and sin and gives new life. He gives hope for this life and power to live in a new way and he restores us into relationship with God that will never end. And these are the greatest news in the world. He came to be our champion, our conqueror, our faithful savior and to restore what was lost in the fall because God loved us. And from this story on in the Bible, there is this beautiful scarlet thread lining every story, every page pointing us to Jesus. Depending on where you are in the story, every story whispers his name. And the fall is one part of that story, gloriously pointing us to Jesus. Let's finish with just a couple applications here. What do we learn here that we can sink our teeth into for where we live? You, you have to, you can't miss this. Christian, first time guest, this is our story. 
This is our story. Some of you have grown up in the church, and your first words were Jesus or like amen or something. Some of you don't have that experience. And some of you grew up in addiction and abuse and violence and pain and sadness and anger. But regardless, either spectrum, we all have sinned. And we all fall short of God's glory. All of us. And as we live in 21 century America, uh, 21 century South Seattle, everyone's, everyone's story is the same in this regard. We all have sinned against God and we deserve His judgment. There is... No area of our lives that is not affected by the fall. We are enslaved to sin's power and dominion. Our mind, our will, our emotions are tainted and controlled by this ferocious enemy. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Therefore, completely incapable of saving ourselves. And this is our story. Now, this is not only our story... This is what we do. This is our response. We sin. And when we sin, what is the natural thing that we do? We do as our first parents did. We hide in shame. We hide in guilt. We take up these identities and make them our own. And it's destructive. We, we blame others. We don't own our sin. So this is our story, and this is our response. So this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. And then we're going to close after this. But I've asked uh, Pastor Will and Emily, or just Emily, <laughs> sounds good, to come on up. And she's going to share with us for a few minutes about how has this played out in her life? In, in Emily's journey, in her story, how has she hidden? And how has she taken these identities of sin and shame? Because we all do this. And then, what has she done to, to turn? And to, and to go vertical rather than inward? So I'm gonna, she's going to have a few minutes and share with us, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, I guess a little backstory is I grew up in the church that's all I've ever known. Um, and so in the last year or two, or not year or two, very recently, I'm being confronted with actually believing what the Bible says. And, like, it has to do something in me. It can't just be my response to sin because I think that's how I've lived and been fueled. Um, when Will asked me to think about what I was going to say yesterday, the first thing that came to my mind is I hide in anger. And it's, I don't like to admit it. Um, I think I put on a really good front of being joyful and having peace and um, keeping things as they should be around me. But inside, um, <laughs> it's funny, it can take uh, Will not putting his shoes away for me to go into an internal rage, <laughs> which is really icky to admit. Um, and it, when I think about it, it reveals like what I think I'm entitled to. Um, it reveals these idols of control, of um, 
another example, I guess, um, when I make a mistake or when I fail, um, I have a really hard time with that. And I was thinking, I was thinking, what is that idol? And it's success, but not in the way of like gaining a position or um, some sort of like accolade. It's not messing up, not not having to confront my sin, not having to confront that I would rather be angry at Will because he didn't listen to me or I didn't think he listened to me, than um, choose to go to Jesus and say, I actually need you. <laughs> I can't love him. I think I can, but I. I mean, sometimes, because of him, I can. So sometimes it's easy, but um, the times I'm talking about now is when I choose to hate him. I choose to hate my kids. Because I'm not enough to love them. And when I do, it's only because God's loved me, so then I know how to love them. And it's been scary, just like sh- like rocking me to the core with not only Will, but with my kids, when I'm communicating, and it's death, I'm communicating that I am choosing sin over Jesus. And I know for a lot of people who've grown up in the church that can, may go in one ear and out the other, but it's huge, it's serious. I've... I think, like, withheld, I've had withheld myself from God, foolishly thinking that he's not, that he, uh, he's going to wait till, till, like, I come to him. He literally knows everything I'm thinking. He literally, like, I can't, but I'm deep in the struggle of understanding that. I quite honestly, more often than not, think that I have my own thoughts and own, um, I'm working it out. Like, I'm working it out over here, and then I'll come to you. And, and then we can do it. So, um, where I've turned and chosen Jesus is stopping <laughs> and not running headlong into anger and steamrolling people will... Um, my kids, um, or just like shutting off from people, and I can do that, and you wouldn't even know. What, what does that look like? Steamrolling, or like or, shutting or stopping down? from doing those things. Stopping. Um, acknowledging what I'm wanting, what I'm desiring, mm-hmm. what I'm believing, um, and then I can actually see sin. And because if I don't, I feel very empowered in my anger, and I feel very empowered in, um, I'm going to make this happen. Like, I'm going to make Piper obey me, because I, because me. (laughs) Um, So when it's stopping, stopping, acknowledging what I'm desiring, and then starting with, Jesus, I need you. (laughs) Um, Because sometimes that's all I can do. (laughs) And then... um, bringing someone in on it to speak truth that I'm not able to choose for myself or I'm not able to see um, or something I've been super convicted in is actually knowing scripture because I really don't know a lot and that's embarrassing to admit but because I've 
chosen to do it on my own and like learned from my family to, to do it on your own, whether exploding in anger or pulling up your bootstraps and making it happen. Um, I'm seeing very clearly now that's not cutting it. <laughs> and yeah. not only that, it's hurting me. It's bringing death to me and everyone around me. Yeah. So. But I guess I should end not on that note. But <laughs> like he's faithful and something I think that I've been trying to realize is that in the struggle... God's, like the, one of the songs this morning was, like his purpose never fails. So if, if it's day after day, stopping, struggling through sin, going to him, doesn't feel like anything's happening, something's happening. Like yeah. he, he didn't leave me. He didn't leave me to just flounder in my anger and um, resentment or whatever it is. He's showing me that that's not, it, he's showing me what it's bringing. And when I stop and acknowledge that and mourn that, mourn that what's, what's since happening and what it's doing, then, then, I, can, then I can go to him. Because yeah. I can't go to him polished up. Because like, I'm right. not actually. That's right. Yeah. So. Awesome. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, you might want to keep that. Oh, yep. <laughs> Would you guys give it up for Emily? <laughs> is, that, is that helpful for anybody? We all, we all respond. And maybe not exactly like that, but we all hide. We all take these identities. We all, we all, this is our response. And so that's helpful. Inviting community in, knowing the truth, uh, taking a moment to pause. That's, that's good. Thank you, Emily. That was fantastic. Thank you. Let me just close by saying this. This is our story. This is our response. And Jesus is the champion that we need. Get captured by this truth. We all have sinned against God. We all deserved his anger. We all deserve his wrath. We deserve to live under eternal weight of judgment. But that's not what this God promised in Genesis 3.15. What did he promise? A champion. <laughs> One who would make all the sad things come untrue. And here is the thing. In our world, everyone is looking for a champion. Literature and entertainment is filled with this imagery. Aragon in Lord of the Rings. Rocky Balboa to Rudy to Luke Skywalker to Neo to the Avengers. The champion imagery is everywhere. Religion is filled with it. Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith are all seen as champions in each of the respective religions. But all champions are based off this one story of the true champion. Only Jesus stands before God as the last Adam, the final representative before God as the conqueror of death and sin, defeater of the serpent and restorer of the glory of God. And God will one day restore all things through our champion. The story of God would not be complete if it did not come full circle. There will be one day because of our Savior's 
work that all things will be finally and completely restored. There will be one day when sin will be no more, when we will dwell in the paradise of God known as the new heavens and the new earth. There will be a day when God makes all the sad things come undone. God will finally completely judge sin and all those who've put their trust in Jesus will rest in God and live at peace with God and be happy in God for all eternity. And this day is coming. Because the work of our champion. So this is what this means. And I'll close with this and then we'll pray. If you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus, the great champion of God's people, we invite you to do so. Being reconciled to God is as simply, simple as believing that he came for you. It is one thing to believe that he came to die. And another that he came to do that and restore you to God. So trust in him. So ask questions of whoever invited you to come. They would love to answer those questions for you. If you're a Christian tonight, we've got great news. You know that Jesus came for you. You know that he came to restore you. But are you aware that he has called you to himself and given you a new ministry? In your ministry, our ministry is one of reconciliation, bringing order into this sin-infested world, this chaotic world. You are declaring and portraying God's redemptive work wherever he places you. So this week, tonight, dedicate yourself to the work of God's work, reconciling the world to himself through our great champion, Jesus. Live to make Jesus' name glorious in the earth. Live to make disciples of Jesus, of all people, in all places, at all times, for his glory. So this is our story. This is our response. And Jesus is the champion that we need. We're going to pray, but I'm going to do something different this morning as well. We started, or I started this sermon by saying that all of us have felt the effect of Adam and Eve's sin in some way. We can't go five minutes without, uh, without feeling the weight of what happened, the consequence of what they did. So maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe you are uh, hiding in sin. Maybe you are, are, are taking the identity of, of shame and, and you are seeing yourself through that identity. Maybe you are running from community. Maybe you are running from God in all kinds of ways. Maybe you're putting up this front that Emily was talking about. Maybe you are feeling the, the, the weight of, of sickness. Maybe you are in relational conflict with someone. Maybe someone in this very room. Maybe you've been the victim of abuse or injustice. Maybe you've been the, the, the butt of someone's joke and there is offense. Maybe you are, are having a difficult time at work and you're, you're feeling that making a living is, is, is brutal. So, so if this morning, man, you are in, in kind of a special, heavy way feeling the effect of Adam and Eve's sin, we want to pray for you. All right, so I, I just mentioned a few things. I, I couldn't have mentioned every situation. I don't know those things. But if this morning you need prayer, if you are, if you are 
sensing the weight of what happened in Genesis 3 heavy on you. Could I ask you just to stand for a second? And I want the people that are next to you just pray for you. Anybody? Really feeling the weight of sin and shame? Anybody in the room? Disease, pain. And it's kind of awkward. Thank you. If anyone's near to her, would you guys just lay her hands on her and we'll pray for her today. Is there anybody else? I'm not trying to make anything happen, but if you're feeling the weight of sin today, heavy, we just want to pray for you today. All right, let's pray, you guys. Father, there is no way that I can know every situation, every story that is uh, represented here tonight. I know that you know. But the one thing that I, I know for sure is that all of us have in some form or way, we, we are all feeling the weight of, of, of the, the fall. Whether it's a disease, whether it's a conflict thing going on, whether it's it's, it's uh, taking up the identity of, of shame and guilt, whether it's we're hiding for, from you, God, whether it's we are, we're, we're uh, moving away from community because we, we feel guilty, uh, whether it's you know, an injustice or an abuse or an addiction. Lord, o- only you know those stories. And I ask you that you would do what you've been doing since the very beginning. Would you bring order into the chaotic circumstances of our life? Where there is pain, bring healing. Where there is sickness, bring disease. Where there is darkness, bring light. Where there is uh, pain and shame, bring, bring beauty and restoration. Bring acceptance uh, for, for those who feel uh, uh, unaccepted and, and left out. Where there is conflict, Lord, would you bring resolution, Lord. Where there is unconfessed sin, bring conviction, repentance, and confession, and forgiveness, Lord. Would you do the work that only you can do? But I pray, God, that you would today, for those who are feeling the weight of sin, would you come and unburden them from that heaviness, God? Would you meet them in a way that they need to be met? Spirit, would you do those things? Would you do that work? And help us to turn to Jesus, the great champion, and to find in him ultimate satisfaction. There is none like him. He is who we need. So, Lord, do your work now. And I pray grace for these people who are really feeling the weight of the fall today. I pray this in your name.